Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, October 7th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion of Todd Phillips' Joker. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So it's just the three of us. Uh, Brad is out today. Ben had been on vacation, has not seen this movie, and HD has been busy covering the New York Film Festival, so she has also not seen this film. So we're going to make the best of this trio, though. I think we have some uh, good opinions on this film. Let's start with that, actually. Let's start with... um, I guess let's start with Jacob, because me and Chris have kind of given our quick, brief reactions on the, about this film on the podcast in the past. But Jacob, uh, you saw it over the weekend. What did you think? I think it's good. I have reservations that we'll get into in, in detail here. I'm not so sure if Todd Phillips made the movie he thinks he's made. Um, I don't think it's nearly as classy as he thinks it is. I think it's very much a sleazy uh a sleazy B-grade 70s movie. It's Michael Winner instead of uh, Martin Scorsese, but he wants to be Scorsese real bad. Uh, but I kind of appreciate that. I appreciate that it has this sort of um, 
oozy, gross, 70s uh, scumbag New York City movie, uh, even though it has, like, these delusions of grandeur based on the visuals and some of the stylistic choices. But in terms of um, just being a really nasty piece of work character study, it reminds me of movies like Maniac and Death Wish. And it's, in other words, it's still kind of a risky thing. It's, it's a risky thing that they made an R-rated Joker movie. It feels like that, even though I don't think that was necessarily the intention. So I have a lot to talk about here, uh, I, but I did like it. I just think that it's not the movie that anyone has set out to make. Yeah, I've uh, I've been waffling. I you know I I think this is a great movie, but there are things about it that I do not like. Uh, the performances are amazing. The production design is incredible. Um, I'm just amazed that a movie about the Joker in this fashion was was able to be made. Um, uh, Chris, what what did you think of the Joker? Um, in, you know, in the time since I've seen it, I've like I gave it an eight and a ten. I think if I were reviewing it now, I'd probably give it a seven. But there, you know, there's a lot to like in this movie. Um, this is definitely Todd Phillips's best movie, like uh, from a directing standpoint, which I don't think is saying that much because I don't think he's a he's a great director to begin with. Um, I, I was leaving the theater over the weekend because I saw it again with Kitra, and while we were leaving the theater, she was like, "So what? What did this director also make?" And I was like, "The Hangover movies." She was like, "What?" <laughs> right and um you know the, the production design is great the cinematography is gorgeous the the score is phenomenal but really this whole movie hangs on joaquin phoenix and if he weren't in the movie i think it would probably be a bad movie i want to say he's the one who really makes this movie work the script is i don't want to say terrible but it's really lackluster it's really um obvious like there are scenes where you know characters literally like say their motivations like you know at the end the joker is like ah this is what society has done to me and it's like that's really like <laughs> on the nose cheap screenwriting and this movie like jacob was saying this movie is not as smart as todd phillips thinks it is it's it's really sort of like a a dumbed down version of a smart movie but uh, Joaquin Phoenix is so good that he he elevates the material and this is really his movie because even though this movie is loaded with great actors none of them really have like anything to do they're all just sort of like standing around while while Joaquin Phoenix does his own thing and you know the movie works really because of him I think I can agree with most of that uh, okay so we're gonna get into the spoiler so if you have not seen Joker Tune out now because we're gonna get we're gonna start discussing some of the twists and turns of this movie, which uh, are some big things. So you had your chance. Now we're gonna get into it. Let's talk about twist number one. Uh, it is revealed that Thomas Wayne is Arthur Fleck's father, um, or not. And uh, th this is interesting because when I was watching the movie, I I was like giddy in my seat. I was like, oh my god. Todd Phillips is changing canon in a way that, like, I did not expect. Uh, this is like, what does this mean? What could this mean? Jacob, when you were watching this film, you were at this point in the film where it, that is revealed. Like, what were you thinking? Like, how does this change the Batman mythology if that is to be taken in for what it's worth? I was dreading it, Peter, and it's because I'm so tired of villains and heroes having – the shoehorned in personal connections, like making Blofeld James Bond's adopted brother inspector. No, no, thank you. I, I hate that. Uh, for me, the beauty of the Joker and Batman relationship is that 
they are from two completely separate worlds and they're sort of born together and, and, and come together because of the choices they've made, not because of a bloodline. So at first I was kind of dreading it, but at the same time, the movie does, I feel, pretty conclusively reveal that he's probably not Thomas Wayne's uh, actual son. The movie is, you know, murky on that intentionally, uh, but there's enough evidence there to suggest that it's all delusion on his mother's part. Uh, so I'm of the opinion that it's all bullshit and that ends up working for the movie because all it does is uh, deepen Arthur's sense of non-identity. I mean, he's adopted. He um, he doesn't really know who he is, doesn't know who his parents are, doesn't know where he's going, where he's from. So the idea of him having a potential link to greatness taken away from him is far more interesting than him actually being linked to greatness. I mean, I agree with that. Uh, I will note that there are things in this movie that make it a bit mur- you call you said murky and i think that's a good word because you know it's revealed later on that uh that arthur fleck's mother was kind of uh she was kind of crazy and she might have been delusional making up this whole relationship with thomas wayne um there's this whole report that he comes in contact with but then later on in the movie we see a moment where he takes the picture of his mother and like crumples it and on the, on the back of the picture it said i love your i love your smile or something tw which seems to add fuel to the fire that there might have been something there unless she wrote that message yeah i mean that is <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point very good point uh but i guess you know watching this a second time i think am i the only one who here who has seen it two times now yeah, I believe so. Yeah, uh, I was ex- I was hoping that there would be more layers to uncover when seeing because you know you have this movie with an unreliable narrator. I was wondering if there was going to be stuff like that first meeting between Thomas Wayne and Arthur Fleck in the bathroom. I was hoping that there was going to be more kind of like in that performance be more undercurrents of there's something more there. But it, uh, the guy that played Thomas Wayne was really playing it, you know, how it's you know I guess presented that you know he like there's not a moment where he looks at arthur fleck and he's like wait this is my son or anything like that i don't feel like there's a moment there like uh chris what do you think do you think that this thomas wayne thing is made up by his mom or do you think that there that it is actually true i think it's made up but you know it, it is it's left in a way that you could read it in different ways if you want to i personally buy it as you know, his mom is is crazy and she made it up. And I think it works better on a just like a character front, because if it I, I feel like like Jacob, I think it's like kind of cheapens the character a little. If it's like, oh, he's Batman's brother, like making him, you know, this literal orphan who's, you know, all on his own. I think that works better for a character. And in a way that actually ties him into Batman even more because Batman ends up becoming an orphan, obviously. So I kind of like the parallel of that way that these characters are both (laughs) orphans from this like traumatic past. And I don't really like the Thomas Wayne is his secret father thing. And I, I don't think they really present it as any other way in the movie, but you, you can, you know, draw your own conclusions. Yeah, it's interesting. We we posted this interview, this Q and A session with Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, I posted on this uh, this podcast a couple weeks back. Um, we had to cut out some questions there that were spoiler, spoiler, spoilery, um, and some of that was had to do with uh, the interpretation of this movie. And the interesting thing that came out of that, which we have not published on the site yet, but. Um, 
is that Todd Phillips claimed that him and Joaquin Phoenix never had the discussion of what is real in actuality in any of this. Like any of the things that can be interpreted in this movie, they never had the discussion of what their interpretations were. And they weren't even sure that their interpretations would line up. Which uh, does that is that good or bad? I think that probably goes more towards what you're saying, Jacob. That uh, I'm not sure Todd Phillips made the movie he thinks he made because I feel like <laughs> someone like Scorsese would have those conversations. I'm not so sure. I'm going to play devil's advocate for Todd Phillips here, and if he wants Joaquin Phoenix to play somebody who's so completely lost and confused and does not know what's true, what's real, what's not, maybe withholding information is actually vital to getting the performance he needs. Oh, that's. I'm giving Todd Phillips too much credit, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chris, you wrote up a story today about one of the cast members talking about this twist. Uh, What what did we learn from from his interview? Uh, Yeah, so Brett Cullen, who plays Thomas Wayne, you know, he was asked about it, and he actually says that he thinks there was actually an affair between his character and uh, the Joker's mother. Her name is Penny. And that Thomas Wayne is actually the one who had her institutionalized, which I don't really get that from the movie, but that's just his sort of like reading. It's it's not like him saying, this is definitely what happened. This is just basically this actor's interpretation of the character. So again, you know, make of it what you will. I I don't buy it that way. And I don't really get that from the way the the film shows it, but that could either just be... (laughs) Todd Phillips is a bad storyteller or I wasn't paying close enough attention. I don't know. I feel like I don't even feel that from that actor's his uh, his presentation in that scene. Like, I don't feel like I got that there was another layer to that. Like, no, not at all. Yeah. Okay. let's talk about the second twist. Uh, This one is that his girlfriend is kind of completely imagined or his relationship with the what's her name? Right. Uh, I'm, I'm positive they never say her name in the movie. I'm they, like, I, they do not. Not mention it all in the actual dialogue of the film. But I think she's credited as Sophie or Sophia. Huh. Yeah, I think it's Sophie because there's a track on the soundtrack called Following Sophie. So it's that's her name, but they never say it in the movie. Yeah. This, this, this twist sucks, Peter. This twist sucks hard because you see it coming the moment they have their first date sequence. Oh, I, I, I totally did not see it coming. I Well, I will say this. It made me mad. It made me angry because I was watching this movie and I was like, first of all, there's no way after this guy is like following her through the streets of Gotham that she would like, you know, want to be in a, any kind of relationship with her. I was like, this, like, this is bu- bullshit. Like, Todd Phillips is, you know, this is bad storytelling. And, uh, and, uh, I was, you know, when, when, it, when the rug was pulled out from underneath me and I, it was revealed that she, she, like, they never actually had a relationship. That made it more okay, but I, I guess so. You saw that coming from the first first yeah, introduction. Um, part of um, goodness, I, I just feel like I've we've seen so many movies where you know someone's imagining someone there with them the entire time, and Joker uses the exact same language of those scenes, which is that character exit scenes before somebody else arrives. They only they only ever interact with the characters imagining them. There's the basic framing and language of how she enters and leaves scenes. I tipped it off for me from moment one. So, right. I, and also, since she's so, so it's pretty much like the only significant female character who is not his evil mother is just you know a complete a complete waste of space in the fantasy, I, and that's it could be fine maybe, but like why is Daisy Beats here? I mean, I feel like this she's so completely wasted. I did not care for this subplot whatsoever. How about you, Chris? 
No, it's bad. It's um, it's and I feel so bad for. I mean, I don't. I shouldn't say I feel bad because I'm sure Zazie Beetz got paid very well to be in this movie, but she's a really great actress and she has nothing to do. There's one scene where she gets something to do. And it's the scene where it's, you know, the big reveal where he go, he just like goes into her apartment and she clearly has no idea, like really even who he is. And the way she handles that scene is so good that it makes me angry that Todd Phillips then does the, the cheap fight club thing where he cuts back to every single shot <laughs> That she was in and it reveals that Joaquin Phoenix is just like standing alone. It's like, we get it. We don't need these flashbacks. First of all, they're from, they're literally from fight club. Second of all, <laughs> the way she acts the scene out pretty much sells you on what is going on here. Um, I will say, you know, there is a caveat here. This, the way it's handled in the movie is a million times better than it was handled in the screenplay, which by now everyone knows has, has leaked online. And I read it, a bunch of people read it and, the way the character is handled in the screenplay is so much worse. So they actually do sort of have... How is it worse? Uh, I'm going to tell you right now. So okay. they actually do have a relationship in the screenplay, but then it's revealed that she's really just sort of like going on like pity dates with him. She sort of feels bad for him. And then there's a point where he sees her like kissing some other guy and her daughter is there with them. And the Joker goes up to the daughter and he's like, your mother is a whore. And that's like such what? That's such like bad, like 4chan internet angry guy writing. And I was dreading that happening. And I'm glad they they realized that this is bad. Let's not have this in the movie. But the, the solution they came up with isn't really much better to begin with. So I it just either way, I think this all just goes back to what Todd Phillips is interested in. He's clearly not interested in any other character except the Joker. And it really shows because no one has, no one has anything to do here. And it's, it's really frustrating. It's, it's a one man show. And on one hand, it's good because Joaquin Phoenix is such a great actor, but on the other hand, he's way, you know, Todd Phillips is wasting a really good cast. This is a, it's a great cast. Like Shea Wimingham is in there and Robert De Niro and Mark Maron. And none of them have any, anything to do. I like De Niro, but uh, let's get back really quick to this twist, I, which I like. It seems like I liked way more than you guys. The one thing I don't like about it is while they're going through this whole Fight Club copy thing, uh, which you so well put, um, it I think it takes away from the danger of that moment, the moment that there's this stranger in her house and she has her kid there. And I'm like, I feel like if we didn't have this gimmicky twist in the middle of this, Maybe this would be the moment where some people, like, you know, like, I feel like in, in this film, uh, we empathize with Arthur from the beginning. And I feel like some people are going to empathize with Arthur all through this film. Uh, and there's not going to be a moment where, like, it, it we diverge from Arthur. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like there's going to be some audiences that take – we can talk about this later. They are going to take Arthur's journey, are going to totally sympathize and empathize with that. And there's not going to be a moment where, like, the fallen down moment where, like, you, you totally, you know, oh, he went too far. And I feel like there was the chance to do that moment. Like, do you think he killed uh, Sophia? No, I, I don't no. get that from that scene, no. I think the one thing the movie is, is not shy about is who, when the Joker kills. 
mean, so much of the movie is depicting his hazy life where, th- where days bleed into each other and and nothing is ever clear to him. The movie only comes to, like, razor-sharp focus when he's murdering people, and those murders are depicted, like, full-on on screen. So I really think that if he did kill her, we would have saw it. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the death of Murray, the character played by uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, that that comes out of like nowhere. I mean, we we kind of expect that something's going on here. Like it's it's ramping up the tension in the air. I mean, it, well, it was teased that he was going to kill himself on air. Right. That's what right. it was teased. But that gun kind of comes out of nowhere, and the blood. It, it, it's a really shocking. Like the people in my theater that I saw it this weekend, like loudly gasped. It was. I mean, yeah. Uh, the one thing this movie does really well is is, is the way it, it it handles its violence in this very unglamorized way. It's very ugly, brutal violence. It, it's not like stylized. It's not even like glorified the way like Rob Zombie movie violence is. It, it's very blunt. It's very to the point. And I give the film credit for that because I actually have to disagree with you, Peter. I don't think we really i mean i at least from the way phoenix plays this this character i never really ever felt bad for arthur i feel like phoenix does such a good job of playing him as this like detestable creep that you might like pity him in the way like you pity some like pathetic loser but there's never a moment where i was like i feel bad for this guy just because the way he plays the character is so like gross and it's just like his body language and the way he behaves and like like if i saw this guy in public i would be like i'm getting far away from this guy and i think that like a lot of people were worried this movie was going to like glorify the joker and i actually don't think the movie does that now will people see that no matter what absolutely because audiences you know you can't control the way audiences take away you know art and how they react to it but i i will give the movie credit for not wait, wait you, you don't think that like people um narcissistic people who think that they the, the their position in life it's it's all everybody else's fault and they they are you know like like you don't think that they're going to relate to him on a level no i know i i just said you can't control how yeah. those people react but i don't you know I don't care about those people. I want the, <laughs> I want those people to not exist. So I, I can't, and you know, you, you can't, you know, you, uh, that gets, you know, it gets into like this whole gray area of what responsibility does our art have to the audience. Like you can only go so far. And I do think the movie really does do an adequate job of not making the Joker heroic. He's, he's not, a likable guy and i i kind of think that's why the movie has no real (laughs) the movie has nothing to say because the joker himself has nothing to say he doesn't care about anyone but himself he's a very self-centered guy and um you know the the whole the whole scene with robert de niro where he goes on the show you know they have that whole conversation where robert de niro's character is like ah do you care about this movement and you know, the Joker says, like, I'm not political and he really doesn't yeah. ca- care about, you know, the, the stuff he's, in, you know, he he doesn't care about this movie that he's in, inspired until, like, the very, very end where there's that great, like, it's my favorite shot in the film, actually, where, like, he's standing on the cop car and he's surrounded by people who are cheering him on and he's finally, it's finally dawning on him 
that like, oh, he is important to these, you know, maniacs. And boy, boy, oh boy, do I wish Todd Phillips had ended the movie there. But because Todd Phillips can't get out of his own goddamn way, he tacks on this really shitty post scene where the Joker is in the hospital and he starts dancing and we don't need well, any of that. Well, the movie... Before we get to that, let's talk about Thomas Wayne's death. Because this is a Batman movie. You have to show uh, Batman's fa- uh, father and mother getting killed, right, Jacob? Oh, goodness. I have such mixed feelings <laughs> on this because as a comic book nerd, since the Joker and Batman have are like this circle of creation, they, they both create each other in numerous ways. The idea of Batman's parents being killed by a movement started by the Joker is um, circular in a way I appreciate, especially if we imagine this Batman grows up to fight this Joker. <laughs> um, so I, I'm torn because I think that there's something elegant about that, about how the Joker is indirectly responsible for creating Batman and maybe Batman's indirectly responsible for, you know, fighting the Joker later on. But at the same time, it's like, did they really have to break the pearls again? Like, every single Batman movie features Martha Wayne's pearls getting broken and scattered across the ground. I feel like that's iconic, though. That that Like, you can't do a Martha Wayne death without the pearls. Yeah, but for, for a movie that's otherwise kind of embarrassed to be a comic book movie, and I think it is, uh, <laughs> it, it feels really, really weird when they the grab that touchstone. Um, what, I, I, what, I, what, is, what do you think Phillips is trying to say by having the movement kill them and not Joker himself? Uh, this is where I uh, we'll get to this soon enough, but the movie is such a shotgun blast of noise with each note signifying something, but not quite forming a song. And this is just a shotgun blast of noise. does not quite form the symphony that I think he, he thinks he's making because at times Thomas Wayne is uh, depicted as being Trump. At times he's depicted as being, you know, the, um, the swamp that, that, that Trump claims he wanted to drain. He's, so like, He's trying to have his cake and eat it too. The metaphor is so unclear that it's not clear if we're watching a liberal uprising take down a fascist or a fascist uprising take down, you know, a corrupt liberal. It is unclear to the point where I find it frustrating. You know, I, I wanted to get into this Trump thing later, but let, let's get into this now because, uh, you know, I think it, it was Alec Baldwin was up for the role of Thomas Wayne and he uh, turned it down because of, uh, I think there were scheduling conflicts or something. But he had this interview where he said he realized that it was a he was basically paying Trump. And uh, when when I was at this uh, Q and A with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips, Phillips said, uh, and this was not recorded. I think we were just like in discussion outside the screening. And he was talking about that, and he was like, I, "I never intended Thomas Wayne to be Trump." And he said, "If anything, to me, Joker represents Trump." And to me, that that makes it even more baffling. What he, what is he trying to say here? Uh, he's trying to say he doesn't understand his own movie because he is a bad screenwriter. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to steal my wife's discussion about this. We, we have the exact same discussion driving home from the movie. And my wife's reading on this is that um, the Joker is very much a metaphor for Trump because here is a unqualified maniac who is in it only for himself, who rallies – a, a, a movement of people who are so angry that they don't not they don't know what to take it out on around them elevates himself to a position of power and it's just all noise and anger in search of something and they found it in a form of somebody who only has the worst interest of the world in mind which is actually a really solid reading uh, uh, and I, that's why I'm re- re- delivering it here I'm not sure if I agree with it but it's the way my wife took it and I think it's worth sharing here for sure that is, you know, the, now that you put it like that, I can sort of see that, but I feel like that applies more to um, Bane in The Dark Knight Rises than it does exactly, yeah. the Joker here. Um, 
part of the pro- like one of the things I'm so frustrated about with this movie is the, the period setting. Like it's set in the 80s and it's set there for literally no reason. There's no reason to set this in the 80s other than Todd Phillips wanted some well, sort the, of period it's the aesthetic. Setting. Exactly. It's only for a setting and like I wish he had done something like if you're there's actually the 80s, there's actually moments me- in this film that don't work. Because it's said in the eighties, like there's a right. moment where Murray plays this tape of him from this comedy club. Who was at the comedy club with a, a huge camcorder in the eighties and taped it and sent it into Murray? Yeah, like, it sets, it sets up in the in the back room where he's waiting. There's there's a TV um, showing all right. the performers playing. So I think you're oh, is it set, okay? They set up that way, but you're right. It, it is very odd and it's, it, 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 but what I'm trying to get to here is is like if they're going to set this in the eighties and this you want to have some sort of like political subtext you could have easily tied it into like the reagan era which you know has there's is is ripe for you know interpretation and parody and but he never does that i I never even get the sense that like ronald reagan exists in the world of this film like it just feel like and it's just it really irks me that it's it's set in the 80s just because he needed some sort of period setting and if you're not going to do anything with that like it's just uh, you know why bother at all? Do something with it, or you know set it now, like in you know, like the, this era that we're in, and tie it into what's going on now. Like there's a way to do that that's smarter than whatever this movie is doing. And I I don't know. Like a part of me wonders if Todd Phillips is actually smarter than I'm giving him credit for, and he's made a movie here that the Joker that the character of the Joker in this movie would like in the sense that it's not really about anything. It's not saying anything other than <sighs> nothing really yeah. matters. It's this nihilistic, uh, everything is awful. Nothing's ever going to get better. And that's sort of like the message of both the Joker and this movie. And maybe that is what he's going for here, but then you go and you read interviews with Todd Phillips and it sounds like that's not what he was trying to do at all. So I don't know where to draw that line. Well, let, I, let's, like this is, oh. I was going to say, let's talk about the deaths in this movie because it seems like uh, you say that they're not trying to, Todd Phillips is not trying to make Arthur Fleck empathetic, but you know, he's in that, that train car and there's these three men who turned out to be working for Wayne who are uh, harassing this woman. Uh, it seems kind of rapey. It seems like it could lead in that direction. And uh, they go in and, tr- and beat him up and he kills them. So in that case, I mean, I, I, no one should die in any case, but like it's kind of self-defense. It, it gets a, goes a little bit farther because he chases the guy out of the train and, and kills him. Right. Um, but it seems like a lot of these deaths leading up to maybe his mom are like the people are doing wrong. Like, you know, Murray, Murray is making a fool of like he he's causing hor- horribleness in this world. And the Joker is, you know, uh, putting ending that. Right. But then you're getting into like the mindset of the the angry white loner who's like ah everyone has done me wrong i'm going to take it out on them and but that, i think that, that's we, what i'm worried about i'm worried about that angry white loner seeing seeing this movie and uh yeah but peter you can't like you can't control that. i mean i wish we could control that but like this is nothing new i mean like you know john hinckley shot ronald reagan because of, of yeah. what he blamed on taxi driver which is you know the movie this 
this yeah. film owes the most to. And I wish we could control that, but we can't. Um, I, I just wish there was more of a a message, a, not a message. Uh, yeah, message number one, number two, some kind of moral other side to it that's displayed, right. and I don't see that anywhere in the movie. And I'm not saying every movie needs to have that, but it. This movie in particular, for some reason, and I'm not like that guy that's like every movie should be more like I'm totally not that guy. But this movie like rubs me the wrong way that it doesn't have that side. Like it doesn't, you know, when you have falling down, you have the cop that like is his last. Yeah. Do you know what I mean like? And this has no- nothing. It doesn't have a message. To, uh, yeah, and that yeah, that sort of ties into what I think maybe this movie is trying to be, and it's trying to be this for lack of a better word, a moral movie. And on one level, I can appreciate that because that is kind of gutsy to take a comic book property, uh, not just a comic book property, but like one of the most famous comic book characters of all time and make this really nihilistic movie with nothing to say. And I can appreciate that on some level. But again, on another level, I don't think that's the movie Todd Phillips thought he was making. And I think that sort of shows in the way the film is writing and that all ties back back into this film is not as smart as it thinks it is. I just kept on thinking of the dark Knight, which is, you know, the best cop movie ever made probably. And the Joker there uh, is very similar to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker in terms of the nothing matters worldview, uh, you know, where burn it all down. But that movie ends with the prisoners on one ferry throwing the detonator out the window and it ends with people rising up and proving the Joker wrong. And every single person in this movie is shitty. Uh, his mother is shitty. The talk show host is shitty. The cops are shitty. Everybody is out for themselves. Everybody's out to hurt each other. And I left this movie feeling dirty. I think it's a very effectively made movie. And I, 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 do, I do think I liked it. because it's a, I like my scuzzy little sleaze bag movies. <laughs> but I just feel like it's, it's, it's missing... A moral compass. Yeah, I feel like I'm not that 19 year old college student anymore. I'm, I'm not going to put, you know, Tyler Durden on my on my wall. I'm not going to, you know, I don't think Travis Bickle and Taxi Driver is 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 badass. You know, I'm I'm 31, damn it, and I've lived long enough <laughs> to realize that I believe in shit. But and... I, I, so I have to ask though, like, do you think that is sort of like reflective of where we are now? Because like the Dark Knight, uh, you know, it, it the Dark Knight was was before Trump. It was before the Trump era. And when I revisited the Dark Knight to write about it for the, the whatever tenth or anniversary or whatever, I, I was like, I felt like that fairy scene, as great as it is, it's it feels naive now because I feel like the, the Dark Knight existed in this whole other world where we were still holding on to this hope that things will be all right in the end. And now we're living in the the Trump <laughs> era where it feels like ev- nothing is ever going to be good again. Like every day there's some other terrible thing that ha- we, we wake up. I don't know about you guys, but like I wake up, the first thing I do is look at Twitter with like uh, a pit in my stomach where I'm like, all right, what terrible thing awaits me today? And I didn't feel like that when the Dark Knight came out. Not to say that like the world was this great place when the Dark Knight came out, but I, I feel like maybe this movie sort of reflects where we are as a. T- t- I hate to like be like, ah, oh, we live in a society because that's like the joke of this yeah. movie at this point. But that's. I feel like maybe that is reflective of where we are. We're in this really bleak, shitty era where. 
Like, I feel like if the Dark Knight came out now and you had that scene where the the inmates throw the the detonator off the boat, it would feel wrong now because we don't live in that time anymore. And I don't know. What I'm saying is everything is awful. <laughs> that's, that's what it boils down to. I, I think you're right here, Chris. But at the same time, you know, this is where this is where the whole comp movie-ness of it comes into play because – I don't read superhero comics because I need to be reminded of what the world is today. I read superhero comics because I want to be reminded of what the world can be. And uh, Batman is about, you know, taking a human being and pushing him to his limits to the point where he becomes the ultimate force for good. And the Joker is meant to be the challenge to somebody who has set a moral compass for himself uh, to be the best person possible to save the world. And to examine the opposite of a positive moral compass a character who is designed to be pure nihilistic evil uh, and borrow the language of that world and that character and these names, these the familiar iconography of it, it hurts in a way that, that I did not need right now. Um, and, and maybe that's my fault. Maybe it's my it's, it's a baggage that I'm bringing yeah. to this movie. It's a very well-made movie that, once again, I liked watching. I like Joker. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it. But I feel like by ignoring the counterbalance to the Joker, they're ignoring what makes the Joker an effective villain in the first place, what makes him stand out in the comic book world, and which makes it what makes Heath Ledger's version of the Joker so memorable is that he's a counterbalance to Batman. And right. removing any kind of counterpoint from the movie uh, makes you feel like, oh, this is an admission the world's not going to get better instead of a question of how can we make it better. And for me, that's not what I want out of a movie like this. But maybe yeah, I'm no. wrong. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. And I, I, I actually, I kind of wonder like how this movie will play knock on wood four years from now when maybe <laughs> maybe we're not living in this this nightmare that we're in right now like i kind of wonder how this movie will hold up because like you know the dark knight that's a movie that holds up even though you know i just got done saying that one scene doesn't really play the same anymore but that movie holds up 10 years later and i i kind of wonder how this movie is going to play like 10 years from now is it going to seem like this this relic of this dark period we were in sort of like the way when you look back at taxi driver where it's it's the it's relic of this different new york where you know it's not the touristy new york of today it's the dark sleazy dangerous new york of films like you know maniac and stuff like that and i i kind of wonder how joker is going to play you know decades from now if it's going to be this quaint reminder of this dark period we went through, or if it's going to be like, ah, how naive we were. <laughs> Things got so much worse. Yeah. Um, you know, we have so much more to talk about. Uh, you mentioned before that uh, end credit scene, or like that last scene where we see Arthur, he is in the hospital, he's in, what, what is that, Arkham Asylum, I, I guess? I think they call it Arkham State Hospital because this isn't a comic book movie, Peter. Yeah. This is an adult movie for adults. <laughs> and he's talking to that same woman from earlier in the movie where she was like his city-appointed social, social worker. Yeah, And um, Arthur laughs to himself and she says, what? And it, it, you don't quite know what he's laughing at. Uh do the events of this movie even happen? Or is that like him in his mind, that whole thing playing out? And it's because Joker in the comics or even in The Dark Knight in uh, all throughout his thing, it, he doesn't really have a concrete backstory. It, it, it's mostly like these made up 
stories that he tells that we don't we're not sure what is real. So I'm wondering, like, is, is this all just like a made up thing in his head, and like this movie didn't even happen? It happened. Uh, I I think this is also the same thing. I think the ending of Taxi Driver happened. I think the ending of Human Comedy happened, and I think the ending of the Joker. Uh, and everything that lead up to it, it all, it all happened. I, I don't see what the movie gains from being any kind of dream sequence or any kind of unreliable chain of events. Um, I, 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 I see what you're going with here, Peter, but I, I don't see it personally. Chris, what do you think? Ah, boy, you know, that thought hadn't occurred to me until today because I think I, I read something somewhere else mentioning this. And boy, I hope that's not the case just because I hate stuff like that. Um, I, I will say I do th- like the way that even though I think the movie should have ended with him standing on the car, I do love there's this like cross cut where it shows Bruce Wayne, the, the child Bruce Wayne in the alley with his dead parents. And then it's like smash cuts to the Joker in the hospital. And that's when he says, I was thinking about something funny. And that to me is like sort of like the Todd Phillips's very unsubtle wink, wink of, you know, what's to come, you know, Bruce Wayne's going to grow up and fight, I guess, old man joker because the joker's like in his like he's got to be like early or 40s mid 30s here so by the time batman grows up the joker's gonna be like 60 ish which is kind of weird it's like batman well, fighting. No, batman could be in his 20s right? i guess yeah but either way i i do like that cross cut but if it is supposed to be like ah it was all in his, like i'm willing to admit maybe some things didn't happen exactly the way they're presented because you know like the the girlfriend thing but to say like the whole movie is in his head is like <sighs> lazy but then again todd phillips seems like a lazy guy so i wouldn't be surprised i don't know i, I will say at that q a that i keep on mentioning that was brought up and it was clear that todd phillips like that that was an idea that is out there like th- that that's not like something un- unintentional that that oh, that man, idea that. <laughs> uh, that that that's one of the possibilities that he's saying with that scene. I'm not saying that that's what he's saying with the scene, but it, it seems like he was very clearly had fun with the fact that like this movie is a murky movie, and we're we're gonna have to interpret and have our own theories on what happened. So what would he be in the hospital for then at the end? Just because he's crazy? Well, in well he was in the hospital before, right? Before he got no, right no. Out. That, well, he's, he does mention that he because got we see a of shot of him like ha- banging his head against the window in, in his cell or in his uh, padded room or whatever it is. Yeah, but that was. But he also says he got out of the. I don't know. <laughs> this is make this is making me angry to think about. Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, it, it's also the problem with the movie with an unreliable narrator. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, if we're seeing it from his point of view, what what is real and what is not? Right. Um, d- did he kill the counselor at the end? I, I think that's sort of implied because he comes out and he's like trailing blood. Like there's a you can see blood on the ground, but why, I don't know why they wouldn't show that. Because, like, again, going back to what Jacob said, the movie doesn't shy away from its violence. So I don't maybe the blood is from him. I don't know. I wish <laughs> I hate that that final scene where he's in the hallway dancing because it's unnecessary and either cut it with him in the car or cut it with him talking to the uh, the social worker. You don't need to keep it going. I don't know what is trying. Like, what the hell is the point of him dancing around the hallway? Well, I don't get it, Todd Phillips. 
Well, dancing is one of the things that Joaquin Phoenix brought to this role. Um, you know, that wasn't in the script, really. Um, what do you think he's trying to say with the dancing? Is this like this character coming into his own confidence? Yeah, I think so, because they mentioned a few times that his his clown persona is a dancing clown. And the first time we see him, he's dancing on the street corner with a sign. And then after he kills three guys in a subway, and he sort of calms down the bathroom, he starts dancing very seriously for the first time when he gets in his Joker get up at the end of the movie he starts dancing on those stairs and to me it feels like uh, if, if he can't be funny if, if his like art isn't being funny you know his art is murder and he's really coming into his own and finding his groove literally <laughs> um, by committing murder and being very good at committing murder and that's actually something I really like the choice I really like in that um, you know, here's a guy who's a, a square peg trying to fit into a round hole the entire movie. He's not funny. He's not going to be a comedian. He's not a very effective clown, uh, but he's really good at killing people. And so if if, you, if, you, if, if he's a musical person, if he's dancing, he can't dance because he's funny. He's going to dance because he's a murderer. And that, to me, um, ends up being a really chilling transition between, you know, silly clown dancing and, you know, dancing because, you know, you found who you are, which is the pl- crown prince of, uh, clown prince of crime. Excuse me there. Um, there's also once he becomes the Joker at the very end of the movie they're playing that song I don't know what the song is it's usually played at like sporting events and stuff like that Um, the Gary Glitter song yeah what do you what is being said with that because I'm that that I I think is is Todd Phillips being his ultimate edgelord self and being an asshole because Gary Glitter was like convicted of child pornography and I that really bugged me like because it's like don't 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 there's like no other way to interpret that in my mind other than just Todd Phillips being like ah isn't this edgy I'm putting this this pedophiles music in my dark edgy movie and it didn't need to be there I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because uh, the song is such a obvious needle drop up to a point of like you know he is someone threatens the emotion kind of thing so for me, I, I think it's Todd Phillips being oblivious more than anything else. I I, I don't think this was it. There's enough edgelord shit in this movie for me to forgive that one. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about the depiction of mental illness because this, uh, you know, Arthur Fleck has this uh, condition where he uncontrollably laughs at, at times. This is actually a real medical condition, and it usually it comes from. Uh, there, there's two ways it comes from. One of them is actually like a physical trauma as a kid, which we learn that Arthur Fleck had, or at least we learned from those uh, those documents from the court. Uh, J- Jacob, uh, do, you, do you want to talk about his, the mental Ill- illness? This is where the movie gets uh, interesting in ways both good and bad for me, which is that, um, unlike Chris, I think there I think there's, there's um, real notes of empathy and sympathy for Arthur Fleck, in that he's clearly suffering. He clearly is suffering from a variety of illnesses that we learn he takes seven medications to combat, and there's no social safety net to keep him safe. Uh, the movie's ultimate, you know, end result, which is that he goes on a murder spree, is problematic and troublesome. Um, but the idea that um, people not being able to afford their medicine and committing suicide and causing self-harm because of the exact things that Arthur Fleck is going through is very real. And what he thinks is depiction of it is, for me, really heartbreaking because, yeah, he is not a guy you want to be alone in a subway with, and he's really unpleasant, but he's also a victim of illnesses that he has no way of controlling and he has no way of combating and there's no one there to help him. I mean, halfway through the movie, his social worker loses their funding and he's forced to be out on his own. And But the I, social uh, worker isn't even listening to him. 
doesn't even yeah. care about him in, yeah. in this depiction by Todd Phillips. Yeah, and there's, there's a moment where he's writing in his, in his journal, and it's I'm not sure if it's from the movie or from something else, but he writes, um, the funny thing about having mental illness is that people expect you to behave as if you don't. But it's something that I think about regularly um, as someone who has um, severe depression. So there, there, there's so many notes of truth and honesty in him being someone who's really crumbling and falling apart and that when the movie's ultimate solution is, well, now he's got to be a clown and kill people is both um, <laughs> disappointing and um, yeah. it's disappointing because playing a character like this with such honesty for an hour, uh, you, I, I guess I am so tired of um, the common story of, well, mental Ill, mentally ill people are going to kill us all if we don't do something, as opposed to, well, mentally ill people are going to kill themselves if we don't do something, which is the more common real-world truth here. Yeah. So, to me, I was pleased to see a, a mentally ill character of such magnitude portrayed with such empathy by Joaquin Phoenix. But then, because the movie's very nature, because the movie, it has to be the Joker is, you know, um, brought up and uh, become killing people. And this is the next thing I want to talk about anyway, which is, this is a comic book movie, because I guess, here's where also I, I, get, I get diverged again, because for me, the Joker is interesting because he is, emerges fully formed out of nowhere. You don't know where he's from. You don't know why he is how he is. He's just a force of unexplainable chaos. And it's how Heath Ledger's performance in Dark Knight is. It's how Joker is in most other media. And here it's the Rob Zombie's Halloween problem of, in that movie, Michael Myers, the force of evil, born evil for no reason, and that's why he's scary, comes from an abusive childhood and, you know, mental illness. Whereas here, the Joker, the force of mental evil, is mental illness, abusive childhood. And my whole thing is, like, people who are abusive childhoods and who have mental illnesses rarely become monsters. They become people who need help. Uh, so it's 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 at, at, simultaneously demystifying the Joker, the great mysterious villain of all time of the 20th century, and saying, "Well, crazy people uh, should be locked up because they're gonna they're gonna murder people." Yeah. So it's it's at the same time doing two things that drive me crazy. It's both a comic book fan and a mentally ill person. It's like saying, "Well, here's two slaps across the face," because there's nothing less interesting for a villain origin story than well, bad childhood, and that to me just drove me crazy so it's one of those cases where amazing performance goes to, goes to places i find interesting but also ways that really drove me up a friggin' wall yeah um you know this this podcast is going way longer than i expected but we, we have a lot more to talk about i, I wanted um intentionality uh what is this movie trying to say i i think we've all come down to the the conclusion that it doesn't really have anything to say yeah, it's a, it's a shotgun blast of nihilism. It, it nothing matters. Everything's right. bad, and that's not like I said. That's I think it's exactly what it wants to say. It says we we're, we're going to fail each other. We have failed each other. We're always going to fail each other. That's what Joker wants to say. Um, I think this is my biggest problem with the movie. Honestly, is that it really doesn't have anything to say. It's a remarkably made film for what it is. Like I think all the departments are firing on every c- cylinder except for the writing. Um, you know, like the production design is incredible. The score is incredible. The performance is incredible. Um, but it's, it, the cinematography is amazing, but the, I'm, I'm, I really don't know what this film is trying to say. And I, 
if anybody's out there uh, listening to this podcast and has like the, your own like you know side theory, please send it to me at peter at slash com. Maybe we'll read it on a future episode. Um, but yeah, um, okay. Uh, we, you know, I we need to to talk about. Uh, the implications of this movie. You know, uh, when this movie was coming out, uh, there was a lot of criticism. Uh, the Aurora uh, shooting victims, families, uh, sent a letter to Warner Brothers hoping the company would take some kind of action. There was uh, movie theaters that uh, banned any costumes, and there was even, like, some evacuations and, and whatnot. Uh, Todd Phillips, uh, you know, not having any of it. Uh, it's just comparing the film's violence to John Wick. I don't think the film's violence... Like, this is the weirdest thing about... This whole uh, thing that, and we have to talk about this. I I feel, but like I don't feel. I agree with Chris. I don't think this film glorifies violence in any way, and I don't like. It, it seems so. It seems like a lot of people were rushing uh, to prejudgment before even seeing the film. In that respect, I I do think this film might be dangerous for the wrong people to see. Um, but that's no, no reason not to make the film. That's no reason not to release the film. Uh, but I don't think, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like someone that would see this film and take inspiration from it is not going to go into a movie theater and shoot up that movie theater of people also watching this film. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I wanted to hear what your guys' thoughts were on uh, the whole, you know, is this movie dangerous? Well, all art is dangerous, Peter. All art. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, this is a really tricky question because I do think the wrong person could see this movie and feel vindicated by it and feel like, yeah, I should do what he does. But it's the same person who would have caused violence anyway. I mean, going to film school, people's dorm rooms are always Tyler Durden, you know, Travis Bickle, I said earlier, all these anti-heroes who they who were figures of worship uh reservoir dogs characters um and to me it's like you know either you either you're going to embrace the darkness anyway and through some other avenue or you're not going to i think joker is going to i think joker is going to inspire some people who are going to do bad shit already by all these a dangerous movie in, in in the sense that it should be banned i don't think any art is dangerous enough to be banned but uh chris do you have any opinion on this um, yeah, like I said earlier, you know, you can't really, you can't control how people interpret stuff. And I don't think this movie is dangerous. I mean, as dark and violent as this movie is, it's, I think people are sort of like overselling the darkness because I've, I've seen movies 10 times darker than this. And I, I kind of think there's this weird, like built in hype that, well, it's also the whole Aurora thing with the right. Dark Knight Rises, which it, it turned out was not a guy that claimed to be the Joker. Right. That was a thing that sort of like has been disproven time and time again. He, it had nothing to do with the Joker, but he had dyed uh, hair, though. Yeah, but his hair was like orange, which yeah. is like not <laughs> like so it, it's look, I am. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's 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 tough to say, man, because uh, people are people are people are going to do what they're going to do no matter what. If anything, I think this movie inspires like smoking because <laughs> when this movie was over, I was like, God, I need a cigarette because he's like smoking like every <laughs> like 10 seconds. So on that front, maybe it's it's dangerous on the, the nicotine front because Joaquin Phoenix is constantly smoking and it looks really cool when he does it. But 
you know, the violence, you know, I, I, I'm a strong proponent of the idea that, you know, art doesn't cause violence. Like people who do commit violence, we're going to do it regardless of whether or not they saw a movie or played a video game or, or read a book. And it's just, you know, I wish there was some way, you know, we could control that sort of thing, you know, but we can't really. And it's just, it's just the way it is. It's how it, and it's really how it's always been. Yeah. And I want to be clear here. I don't think any one of us thinks that any kind of art can create violence. Like, I don't think violence in movies or video games are going to encourage, you know, someone that played Grand Theft Auto to go out and like shoot someone that that person was probably already, uh, you know, troubled in some way. And uh, that does not encourage that. Uh, On the other hand, I do feel like this film uh, as art does have a psychological uh, effect. I don't think it's the violence in this movie for me. I think it's really kind of the message or the, the lack of a message, but uh, you empathizing with the, this guy that is, I guess, learning that the way to go in life is to just destroy all the things that are doing you wrong or you think that are doing you wrong. Um, and I, I, I worry that people are going to take that message. That doesn't mean that I don't think this movie should exist. I, definitely do um but uh i don't know sitting there watching the movie that was something that was hard to not think about is like how the wrong kind of person might you know be inspired by this film or inspired by the psychology of this film uh not so much the violence um but you know we could do a whole podcast on the violence and all that stuff but we 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 have a lot more to get to let's talk about um will there be a sequel should there be a sequel um no (laughs) uh look i'm i'm ready for this batman movie i'm ready for robert Robert pattinson to suit up i'm ready for him to to fight jonah hills riddler or whatever's gonna happen with that movie i'm ready for batman but i'm not but, sure, but this sure. movie need... earned like a ton of money, ninety three point five million domestically. Uh, broke an October record. It also earned one hundred forty point five million dollars overseas. All right. So let's ask this. Let's clarify the question. Should I, are you asking should there be a sequel or will there be a sequel? Uh, <laughs> both. I'm asking both. I will say this though, where this movie leaves off with Arthur Fleck in. In this institution and this movement going on because of him, I do think that probably is an interesting. There probably is an interesting movie there that doesn't lead to like him versus Batman, but I don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I don't. I don't think I need another trip to this <laughs> to this corner of Gotham. Bring on whatever the Batman is going to be and introduce a new Joker in five years. That's what we do now. We recast each character every five years. Yeah, uh, Chris. What about you? I'm assuming you don't want a sequel. Uh, I don't. Yeah, there should not be one. I don't think they're gonna make one. I mean, but then again, I never thought Joaquin Phoenix would do this. So uh, you never know. But I, I have a feeling. What I think is gonna happen instead is now other people are gonna be inspired to make more darker character study superhero movies instead. Like that's gonna be the takeaway from here. They're gonna be like, all right this kind of movie can make money. Let's make, you know, Mr. R- Freeze. Yes. R rated Mr. Freeze. You know, we're going to get stuff like that <laughs> next is I think is where this is headed. Interestingly though, you did write up this article today that Joaquin Phoenix kind of teased that 
he's interested in talking about more? Well, the quote is he says, you know, they had a great time doing it and there are endless possibilities. At the same time, he's very like, you know, he doesn't say like, yes, we are doing a sequel, but he, he kind of phrases it in a way that he had a really good time making this movie. He really loved playing the character and he's not 100% like dead set on never making a sequel. Um, at the same time, it, you know, that's it, not saying like, ah, yes, they're definitely yeah. going to do it. So it, it's sort of like, <sighs> I don't know. I can't get a read on Joaquin Phoenix, man. He seems <laughs> like he's, I, I think he's one of the best actors working right now. Um, he, he's a phenomenal actor. And I never would have pegged him as someone who would be interested in like a franchise. But here he is talking like, Ah yes, I love playing this part, and uh, I I don't like I I don't know where he stands honestly. He's he doesn't seem like the type of guy who's like in it for the money. Obviously, he gets paid, but I can't see that him being like the type of actor who like Warner Brothers is like, we'll give you all this money if you do a sequel. I can't see oh, him being like. I don't think he has any interest in that. Like, right, like so, I I don't really know how this is going to turn out. Like I could, the he, fact he that he's like not saying this is one and done because he's turned down sequels and stuff like that in the past. Right, I don't know. It it seems weird to me. It it seems like a sign that they're talking about something, but we'll see. I I feel like if there is going to be a sequel, we'll know sooner rather than later because that's just how these things go. Like they're not going to wait a year to announce it. They're going to lock that down soon. So if there is going to be one, we'll know like within a month okay we just have a few more things uh one thing that was brought up to me by uh eric eisenberg from cinema blend i was at a wedding with him this weekend and he brought up that all the clocks in the background of this movie have the number 1111 what do you think that means i remember this because this is the second film of the year to have 1111 featured prominently after jordan peele's us uh, from earlier this year also featured this and we looked it up then and the most common uh, thing we could find was that there's a biblical verse, Jeremiah 11, 11, that goes, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. So is this, is this, is this the Jordan Peele and Todd Phillips both find the same Bible verse and put <laughs> it in their movies? I mean, it's possible. I mean, I feel like what was the first big film to do that? Like Magnolia to like hide like a Bible verse in the background of every scene. Um, I remember that being really powerful when I, I first saw the film. Um, 11-11, I know some people online think it's like the duality of narcissism in the in a mirror. Which, I'm not sure if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It, it's interesting to, to, to take note of that. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is... Uh, Chris, you read the script. Jacob, did you read the script as well? I did, yeah, yeah. What, what what other things are different from the script? I know that in the grand finale of the script, after he's in the car crash, uh, if Chris can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember the crowd gathering around him, like, worshipping him. But he does grab a piece of broken glass and carve his face into a smile like Heath Ledger Joker, which is not in the movie anymore. Yeah, um, it's, you know, there, there a lot has been made about it. Like, ah, they, they were rewriting the movie as they were shooting it. But honestly, that, the script that leaked is very, very similar to um what we have here i think there's like one more scene in the script with robert de niro and mark maron's character like earlier in the film they there were they're watching the video and they're like we got to get this guy on the show and that's not in the movie 
So other than that, it's and you know the Zazzy Beats character plotline being changed and that that carving his mouth thing. It's it's very similar to what we got. Hmm. Any anything else? That's really all that comes to mind. Um, other than the dancing being added as well, but yeah, that's the thing. Like I remember people saying like uh, all these reports about how they're they're rewriting the script constantly, how they're finding new things, and I read the script and at the time every single scene in the trailers was in the scripts. I'm like, how much actually has changed? And the answer is not much. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the big question is, is comic book movies are always kind of not taken seriously come award time. Um, you know, dark Knight was shut out. Uh, black Panther. Uh, wait, black Panther. Did it win anything? Yeah, I mean, it got, oh, sorry, again. Uh, yeah, technical awards like best costume. Yeah, and but none of the ma- major above the line stuff. No, um, but it did get some nominations. Uh, so I'm wondering, do you, do you think this film, you know, after winning the Golden Lion Award at the Venice Film Festival, do you think it has Oscar chances? I think Phoenix gets the best actor nomination. He clearly wants it. He's campaigning already, but I can't imagine it's getting a best picture nomination or anything beyond that because, I mean, the initial reactions were more positive but ever since it came out the reaction has gotten far more mixed and the movie itself is so dreary and dark in addition to being a comic movie that i can't imagine like it getting the momentum to get in that you know top 10 uh, slots uh chris you were there like at the festival though you saw like people's initial reactions do you think this has a chance um i do think the only thing it really has a chance for is is Phoenix, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets shut out just because the movie is so dark. And you, you don't think I, production it, design? I feel like the production design in this maybe. Film is... I, I really it, it all depends on how, how hard Warner Brothers is going to push this, and if they push it hard enough, maybe. But like the thing that it reminds me most of performance wise is like Jake Gyllenhaal in in Nightcrawler. That that was that to me was like such a killer performance and i was like ah he's he's got that oscar nom locked up and he didn't get nominated for that so i can sort of see that same thing sort of happening here where everyone's like man that performance is great and then the oscars just like shut it out anyway maybe like it gets a golden globe i i don't know like it really it really is going to depend on how hard warner brothers wants to push this i don't know if they have anything else this year off the top of my head that's like a prestige picture so maybe this is what they're going to want to push. So I, I, I don't know. Hey, Chris, uh, random tangent. Uh, I apologize for bringing it up so late. But speaking of Nightcrawler, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is the Joker in Batman sequel versus Robert Pattinson. Can we get behind this? Yes, I would see that. Make it happen. Are you <laughs> listening, Matt Reeves? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, lastly, one last thing. Uh, Todd Phillips, I mean, we've talked a, a bit of him kind of borrowing or being inspired by or ripping off Martin Scorsese with this film. Like, is is there enough Todd Phillips here, or is he just playing a cover? Uh, Jack Giroux actually wrote an article for us today about how only Todd Phillips could have made the Joker movie. And it's, it's a really compelling look at how this movie really does echo many of the ideas and concepts that were in, present in Phillips' comedies. So having read that, I feel like there is a lot of Phillips in here, more so than I would have given credit for before I read that article for the site. At the same time, yeah, this is clearly Todd Phillips saying, I want to make my taxi driver, I want to make my king of comedy. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, trying to mimic Martin Scorsese means you look like a 70s schlockmeister like Michael Winner instead of Scorsese. And for me, that's fine. I, 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 I enjoy my 70s schlock, but 
it's like trying to you know it's, it's a mediocre cover of a, of a masterpiece when it comes to you know actually mimicking that style chris you're a big scorsese fan like is this something of its own or is it like does it just feel like it's playing the same notes no, it, it, to me, it's playing the same notes. I mean, Todd Phillips is definitely a nihilistic guy. Like those hangover movies. I mean, I only saw the first one, but I remember it being fairly nasty and, and mean spirited. So on that front, it makes sense that this is a Todd Phillips movie, but I don't remember anything in that or what else did he direct? Like old school or anything that looks like anything like this movie. There's a lot of wide shots. Uh, there's a lot of there's just stuff he doesn't tend to do as, as a stylist. And I really think it's just him studying taxi driver, studying the King of comedy studying. Also, it owes a lot to like William Friedkin. It owes, it owes a lot to the French connection. It's like him studying movies from that era and being like, aha, I'm going to do this. And there's nothing wrong with stealing. You know, everyone, everyone steals Quentin Tarantino steals a lot of stuff, but he's, also a really good filmmaker so he knows how to steal and make it his own whereas todd phillips doesn't and i think that's the the big distinction here do do you think this is going to prevent phillips from getting any nominations like even smaller awards not even just like oscars god i don't know you know if, if the green book guys can get all those oscars then i guess todd phillips can do it too so who who knows i i could see him getting some sort of like independent spirit award type nomination or something like that. But I, 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 I don't know. I will say this much Joker better than green book. Put it on the poster. WB. Yes. <laughs> it's got that going for it. Okay. We've done over an hour uh, with the spoiler discussion of the Joker. Uh, you can find links to all the articles we mentioned in today's podcast in the show notes that includes uh josh's spoiler review uh chris's dark knight piece and that jack drew piece as well you can find more of all of us at slash film.com you can find this podcast slash film daily published every weekday on itunes google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slash film.com and please rate and read this podcast on itunes tell your friends spread the word We'll see you tomorrow. I think it was a good chat, though, guys. Yeah. For as much as I think this movie is about nothing, there is a lot to talk about, believe it or not, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think it's a movie we've been talking about for a while now, and there's there's like so many like individual images and ideas, not even ideas, images and moments that that set fire in my brain. I just wish that the fire spread somewhere interesting. Like, yeah, if, if I had to take this or Justice League, I will take this over <laughs> at any time.